You're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. You know, every day that I sit at my desk, which actually isn't every day, even though I work from home, I tend to kind of like boob and bop around the apartment. Regardless, what I'm trying to say is every day that I do sit at my desk, this is what I look at. This is Brat Sailor Moon. The Brat Sailor Moon sticker that I got from the tattoo convention. It is one Cute. of my pride and joys. Uh, crossover of two of my very favorite things. And um, if you're on our YouTube, you will see it. It is, in fact, a Bratz Sailor Moon sticker. If you can't imagine that, then I don't know what to tell you. Then you've missed out on a huge chunk of pop culture from the 90s. Sorry. Um, Chelsea will never stick that anywhere because it's too precious. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I... I th- you know how many times I turn to Matt and I'm like, should I put that on my water bottle? Because I have a pink water bottle. It would look really cute on the water bottle. Cute. Yes. And you use your water bottle every day. Right. But here's the thing. I would be so devastated to watch it deteriorate because I wash my water bottle in water, of course. I know. But you want to use it. Why don't you buy a backup? That's what you need to do. You need to buy stickers aren't expensive. You need no, to buy I get two, two stickers. I should. One to be used and one to be like Looked at. locked away in a cabinet forever. <laughs> I one of the reasons I started journaling was to have a place to put stickers without feeling guilty about it. These are the types of things millennials are worried about this these days, people. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's that's me. That's my life. Quirky old me. You're so random. I'm so random. We're yeah. random, and we are two girls, one crossword. Your favorite weekly pod word crosscast i'm grace topinka i'm chelsea rowan and um we we talk about crosswords here that's what we do for the most part for the most part partially shall we go into our polapalooza from last week? i think i think we should just move right into the polapalooza it was a good one right um so if you remember last week i talked about license plates which i hope the other people are now as invested as i'm driving all i can do is like look at people's license plates Mm-hmm. And be like, okay, that's the that's the newest Illinois version. That's the old one. And then when I see out of states, I get excited. And when She's I see so vanity excited. plates, I get yeah. even more excited. I told Hannah about your topic, and I was like, "Do you want me to send you the list of the historical license plate that Grace showed me?" She was like, "Oh my god, send it to me immediately!" <laughs> and I was like, "You got it. People are into the, this." Yeah, the two links that I put in the last episode, one of them is like you could you have to zoom in, but it's every state and like all the license the standard license plates they've had over the years amazing so check that out check but, it out anyway <clears throat> poll we asked our twitter followers what license plate what kind of license plate do you have a standard free one a vanity plate background or vanity letters and numbers and most people 83 percent, said they just had the standard one which whatever it's fine mm-hmm. you do have to spend money to get the vanity one but 17 percent did say they had the vanity plate background i am one of them yes you are and then 0%, no one had van- vanity letters or numbers. Hmm. But someone hmm. did comment and said that, um, where'd it go? Said that years ago, I saw a reference, perhaps in Reader's Digest, of an actual fact vanity plate. That is, the letters R-U, number two, B-Z, number four, six. So R-U, two, B-Z, four, six. Are you too busy for sex? I'm guessing this. That's what, what I would think. That is, I'm kind surprised of surprised that got 
approved though it must have like gotten under the radar because they don't mm-hmm. approve any that are inappropriate like you can't get Ooh. 80085 for boobs oh that's annoying i know boobs are just anatomical that's not inappropriate that's what i that's what i told the dmv she has been saying <laughs> that for years every year she goes to the dmv and she tries it and they they're like no ma'am boobs are a sin against god and she says no they're natural all natural well, they don't care. They don't care at the DMV, okay? Maybe next time I get a license plate, I'll get I'll spring for the vanity Ooh. letters. But I have to think of something really good. You, you have, have to, to make people I laugh. think I think about that vanity plate from the time we went to King Spa, the one that was missing all vowels, and we were mm-hmm. like, what could this possibly be? And I think it's just kind of funny. It makes people stop and think and like you fill in all the vowels and it it's something wild every time. And you're like, it couldn't possibly be that. Well, it couldn't possibly be that either. And it's the person is sitting there cackling to themselves. It's like, it's all a nun. And he's just living his life. That could be me. I could actually saw a vanity plate in the flesh driving the other day. I don't remember what it said because the back of this car had so many crazy things on it. <laughs> it had like a million bumper stickers. But then also in the back seat, they had like a um, like a mannequin. That was as if someone was like turned around in the back seat looking out the back and it moved. Its head moved. And it also had an arm like over the back um, headrest that would like raise up and the arm was holding a mask. And at first it freaked me out because I thought it was a person. And then I realized it was a mannequin. I was like, I don't know what the hell this person is doing to the back of their car. But if you live in Chicago and you have seen this car. Let us know. Let us know. If you own this car, let us know. I would have taken, well, obviously, if they do own the car, they don't follow us on Twitter, but mm. um, I would have taken a picture, but I was driving, and I was like, I don't know. I, she couldn't do it. Me. The heebie-jeebies. They also had a blue, li- like, the Blue Lives Matter or whatever bumper sticker, like no. the American flag with the blue line, but I have a um, suspicion that some people put that on their car to get out of speeding tickets. That's smart. Which is smart, but then I don't want people to think I have a Blue Lives Matter sticker no, on I know. my car. I know. It's a, tricky, it's a tricky road. I guess the question is, if you speed a lot, fuck it. Slap it on. Who cares? Fuck it. But if you're not speeding, which I know Grace is very much a careful and safe driver, if you're not speeding, then you have no reason to pull a fast one over on the police force. At exactly. least not in that regard. You can do it in a different, in a different way if you so please. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I wanted to say about vanity plates before we move into the hits and shits is that I didn't even get a chance to choose. I guess I could technically go to the DMV. I went to buy my car and as we were like signing the papers, the guy whips out the license plate. He's like, I'm going to go slap this on for you. And I was like, I thought plates took ages to come in. And they were like, no, apparently in Chicago, you have to like have your plates like right away. And I'm like, I don't know if this is a lie. All I know is that I registered. At the dealership, then. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, they actually, all done. They, it, it doesn't take a long time to do it. Like, in the Chicago DMV, for anyone wondering, it's a different line than the people who get their license, and they have the plates there ready for them. Mm. The issue with my plate is that, since I got a specialty plate, the guy was like, oh, no one's ordered these in, like, the 15 years I've lived here. We're going to have to <laughs> put in a special order. It'll get mailed to you. By that time, it was too late. I'd already filled out all the paperwork. I was like, I guess... This is it. I'm waiting three weeks for these damn mm. plates. Um, shall we move into... Actually, I have a corrections corner. Tell me. It's a very mild corrections corner, okay? Um, hmm. So, 
If you remember last week, I had some crossword news where I told everybody about the New Yorker, and then I also told everybody about the ACPT, the American Crossword Puzzle Tournament, which is really exciting. Here's the thing, though. We recorded on a Thursday. The ACPT happened that, like, Friday through Sunday or something. And then the puzzle, like, our podcast was released on a Monday. So by the time the podcast came out and I was like, the ACPT is this weekend, it had already People passed. People were like, what in the GDH are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. So that is my minor corrections corner is that I'm sorry if you listened on Monday and were like, hey, what the hell? Because I'm an idiot. Um, well, I'm not an idiot. I just didn't think of it until after I had edited the podcast. And then I was like, I'm not cutting it out and whatever. What can you do? You can't. You can't be a hundred percent all the time. No, we certainly aren't. We're we hundred percent of the time, like forty percent of the time. There, there <laughs> it is. Um, but since we're talking about ACBT, I will talk about the results. The results are in because it did, in fact, happen. And since mm-hmm. this is coming out on a Monday, it's like two week or a week after the results have already been released. I will tell you the results anyway. So, the forty fourth ACPT winner is tyler hinman i feel like tyler wins a lot in puzzle classic tournaments. tie classic tyler but there's a bunch of different divisions there's an a division a b division and a c division uh so tyler won overall he won the a division the b division winner was paolo pasco so congratulations <gasps> paolo congrats paolo and i believe if i'm understanding correctly paolo was competing in the c division but he did so well that he was able to be bumped up into the b division and then he beat the b division so good oh for Paolo. Paolo, how does it feel to be good at everything? How does it feel to be who I want to be? Anyway, um, and then the winner of the C division is Mike Wilhelm, which is a great name. And congratulations. Have we seen that? Is that a constructor? I don't know. I don't know. A lot of these people are constructors, the names that I see. I see David Plotkin. He was in the A division. Andy Kravis, Stella, Paolo, June Pock, uh, Matt Gritzmacher, Jesse Lansner. Andrew Lim, all these names we've seen before. The people you see in the puzzles, like the cro- constructing the puzzles in the papers, are the people who are taking home gold, okay? Yeah. The people who are placing at these crossword tournaments. Grace and I, on the other hand, are the people that are too shy to I'm even shy. sign up. I'm shy. Anyway, congratulations, everybody. <laughs> congratulations, ACPT. Maybe one day we'll be there. Maybe one day someone will ask us to host a goddamn crossword tournament i think we would be better hosts than participants but that's just me i agree but do they need a host i mean i feel I don't like think people just kind of want to put their head down and do puzzles and then we're gonna be up there like bullshit <laughs> and non-stop. we're like wearing like sequined suits <laughs> just like putting on like a cabaret show while everyone's trying to solve that's what the acpt would be with we were there that's what we bring to the table so consider it consider it thank you okay that's my uh corrections corner all right. Should we go into our heights and shites of the week? Let's do the heights and shites. I did so many New Yorker puzzles this week. I was just so happy to be able to do one every single day. I'm obsessed with New Yorker, so. Okay. She's getting paid <laughs> to say that. Um, I, I also did New Yorkers. Did you do the April 1st New Yorker by Sarah the, Kay and Ross Trudeau? Yes. The very first themed New Yorker ever. I, I was kind of upset because I was hoping it would be like April Fool's themed. Mm, it wasn't. But what it, the theme was poetry, essentially. Mm-hmm. And apparently Sarah Kay is like a famous poet who constructed with Ross. So I thought that was 
nice and meta for everybody out there. Um, well, okay. At the end of the day, I only had one thing that I liked. Well, I liked a lot of things, <laughs> but I only had one in my notes. Okay. Seven down, classification for a minor star, question mark. And the answer was D-list. Oh, yes. A minor star. I thought it was going to be like kid, child actor. Child actor. Oh, that would be funny, too. Would be funny, too. Yeah. In my opinion. Uh, yes. That was a good puzzle. And like I said, the theme was about poetry. And essentially, all the themed answers had some sort of poem or like type of poem or poetry hidden within the answer. An example would be like 47 across fizzy mocktail made with citrus. And the answer was lime ricky. But the piece of poetry that's hidden in that answer is limerick. Mm -hmm. And if you're curious about what a lime ricky is, apparently it is a highball made from gin or bourbon with lime juice and carbonated water. And it sounds amazing. I know it does sound good. You're interested in cocktails listen to episode 122 agitado not stirred that's that's it that's all i got for that one <laughs> <laughs> but okay speaking of april fool's themed puzzles did you do the friday new york times by no, evan monkin okay so Evan's i just had puzzle. the bandwidth to do one april fool's puzzle and it wasn't even april fool so i guess i was the fool then you were the fool your truth is the fool anyway so the theme when you open up the puzzle, you get like a little like note. And the note says this puzzle has four different solutions. When you're done, read the circled letters from top to bottom to find another one. Hmm. This is where the joke comes in, folks. So all the themed answers, the answers are solutions. For example, 17 across, bathroom cabinet item. And the answer is mouthwash. Mouthwash mm -hmm. is a solution. So this puzzle has four solutions, four themed answers, and their answers are all some type of solution, okay? It's uh -huh. not that the puzzle can be solved four different ways. That's fun, right? And so then um, each of these answers have circles around some of the letters. And if you read the circles from top to bottom, it spells, quote, another one. So this puzzle has four different solutions. The answers were mouthwash, hand sanitizer, window cleaner, and salt water. When you're done, read the circled letters from top to bottom to find another one. The word, another one, spelled out in the circled letters of the puzzle. Amazing. So that was a lot of fun. Um, very good, Evan. Thank you for good April Fool's puzzle. Wait, which Evan was it? Uh, Evan Mankin, not Evan Kalish. Okay. Or Burnholes. Or Burnholes. Lots of Evans out there in the cross world. I think there was an Evan Cliche last week. Evans on the brain. Hmm. Seems like a conspiracy to me. Seems fishy. What else you got, kid? I did the April 6th New Yorker by Wineloo. Oh my god, it was so good. Well, I had a lot that I liked in this. 53 across, symbol that makes a difference, question mark. Minus sign. Mm -hmm. Grace Three would love down. that one. She's an accountant. She loves math. You know me. Three down, where socks on doorknobs might mean do not enter. Mm -hmm. Dorm rooms. Did you ever see that in college? I never did. Not, not a once. No, never saw a sock. I wonder if people put, like, rubber bands or mm. hair ties or something. A little more inconspicuous. Right, right, right. Um, 29 down, drunk junk drawers, question mark. And it was Go Commando. I love that one. It was so good. Um, 36 across, possible response to duck. And it was damn autocorrect. <laughs> so smart. And I just love the damn autocorrect is happens to be 15 letters. It's, yes, it's good. It's really good. I also really liked 31 down, 
infrequent gamers pejoratively and the answer is casuals casuals is like one of my favorite like underhanded like jibes and i i do it in a humorous way i'm not like out here being rude to people for fun well maybe i am Mm -hmm. but i love saying oh you're a fucking casual because it's really funny to me um i also really liked 18 across post pinching shout question mark and the answer was stop thief because pinching is like stealing as well it's a lot of fun and then of course 34 down frank who's blonde topped pitchforks 200 best albums in the 2010s list the answer was ocean i remember when blonde came out it's like one of those like cultural reset moments for me Mm -hmm. um I, I know Grace agrees. We both really love Frank Ocean. But it's one of those things where you think back to like, oh, my God, where was I when I heard Blonde for the first time? It's really, truly so good. I just love seeing Frank in the puzzle. As a clue for Ocean. Yeah. Yes. Um, I liked the Tuesday, April 5th New Yorker by Anna Schechtman. Mm-hmm. The opener was great. It may pick up remarks intended to be private. The answer was hot mic. So just so you know, if you don't know what a hot mic is, if you're mic'd up for any reason or if you're on stage or anything and there's a microphone there, just assume that it's on. Because mm-hmm. if you're over there and you're chit-chat and you're talking shit, you're spilling tea, chances are someone's on the other end of that microphone listening to everything. It's really funny. Well, I don't know if it's funny. It's interesting. When I was like on film sets and doing film things. What you would hear people, like if I'm sit- I'm the director, right? Sitting behind the camera. We go through the whole production. Now we're editing. And we're going through the dailies and watching the dailies. And my actors are 50 feet away in front of the camera. And they're chit-chatting. They're talking shit about this person and the other thing. And you're picking it all up on the mics. And I'm just like, this is amazing. I'm getting all the tea from the day that I missed. Because I wasn't standing right next to them. Be very careful around a mic. Yes. Basically, moral of the story. Don't trust a mm-hmm. mic. I don't. Uh, no, she doesn't. 16 across. Movie with a climax but no plot question mark. And this was sex tape. Very good. <laughs> I would I would argue that some sex tape probably have plots, but loose plots. Loose plots. Plots of plot though. Well, not a sex tape though, cuz that's supposed to be like more true, you know. True, true, true. Natural. Or whatever. Um, yes. 3 down. Reached out with one's fingertips question mark. And just texted that one took me a bit. I know. It's I was so like, good. tapped? Exactly. This one also took me a bit. Seven down. Bow tie alternative. <laughs> Penne. Penne. <laughs> Very good. Um, from that puzzle, I also liked 44 down and 39 down. They were right next to each other. One was slacks, say. And then the other one was also slacks, say. But one of the answers was pants. Mm. And then the other answer was pings. Because slacks is now a verb. It is. Message someone on Slack. It's like Teams. I use Slacks, Slack and Teams, so I'm double whammy. I get oof, like, you know, when you hear like on TikTok, if you ever hear it in the background of someone's TikTok, I'm like Twitch. <laughs> I know you're like, uh, uh, trigger, trigger, trigger. Pavlovs. Yes. Um. The Monday, April fourth, New York Times. I have a shit from it. <gasps> By Derek J. Angle. And this is something we brought up before, but I'm just going to like oh, do a, a fresh reminder. I think I know what this is. You, of course you know what this is. Uh, 38 down. Designer Chanel. The answer is Coco. 
Uh, just a PSA for anybody out there who doesn't know, you can like easily Google this. Coco Chanel was a Nazi spy during World War II. That's like just it. That's it. That's facts. So let, let's stop putting Coco Chanel the Nazi into the crossword puzzles. Because Coco is a really cool Disney movie. Mm-hmm. And it's also the name of, um, what's her face? Monica from Friends and David Arquette's daughter. There you, so, there you go. Two Coco's. Celebrity child. There you go. Um, and it, I think the gorilla who does sign language, I feel like she's K-O-K-O. I think you're right. Unfortunately. You could just say misspelling of a famous gorilla and then put Coco with two Cs. <laughs> or yeah. blank puffs, Coco puffs. We just solved all the issues. This Seeing this like reminded me of the time when we would used to see NRA in the crossword puzzles all the time. Mm-hmm. And like, Essentially, I have stopped seeing NRA, especially like Clued in relation to the National Rifle Association. Yeah. Um, I've, but it's interestingly enough, I saw it twice in the last week, which was like the I first time say. I've seen it in a very, 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 very long time. But neither of them were like pro NRA or at yeah. least like. What's the word? They were both. It wasn't even neutral about the NRA. Right. And right. one of the ones I saw, it was like the I forget what the group was. Like an anti-gun group. It's like the Fathers for Peace organization is against this right. type of thing. Exactly. Um, so just to say that like crosswords can change. You don't have to have things in them that are a little bit uh, unsettling to see or that don't exactly pass the breakfast test, you know? Um, I think a lot of people hold on to like, oh, well, that's just crossword ease. It's like... Be more creative then. National I don't know what to tell you. National Restaurant Association. There we go. Done. Um, but one of the things I did like from that puzzle, from Derek's puzzle, well, it's not so much that I liked it, but I wanted to shout it out. Nine down, one named singer called the Queen of Pop. And the answer is Madonna. And I don't know if Grace has noticed this, but yes. Madonna is She's posting the weirdest shit on TikTok. And I can't help but love every single post she does without lying. I'm not lying. Her face is so close to the screen and this one of her weird songs is on and she's just like moving her lips in like the weirdest way. And like she's truly so close to the screen, like fish eyed close. And like that's that's her TikToks. Every single time she comes up on my page, that is her TikTok. And I'm just like, okay, she's vibing. Um but yeah, she's on TikTok. What can you do? Can't what hold can it do? against her. No, I, I certainly don't. I literally live for when Madonna comes up on the TikTok feed. So, um, well, I have a lesser shite from that puzzle as well. Okay. 13, well, we should also talk about this before. Thirteen down, lay Miz, mm. which it was like blank Miz, but M I Z. I know. What? I feel like the New York Times always clues it as M I Z. I I've thought it was M I S. M E S. It's both. We looked it up. Okay, it is both, but. Maybe it's a regional thing. I don't know. I don't like it. But I did also, I thought 34 down, Buckingham Palace dog breed. Corgi. Yes. I was thinking about doing this as a topic, actually. I thought about it too, but I was like, well, we already did presidential I breed. Know. We could do royal breed. That is more your topic, though, because I don't know that much about the royals. Right. Well, the thing is, like, sometimes I steer away from the royal family because I can go down rabbit holes and then the topic balloons into, like, 45 minutes and I'm like, I got to get out of here. So you never know. You know, um, and then I also like 43 down reaction of silent but obvious disapproval. Oh, yeah, eye this? roll. Eye roll. Yes. Very Are good. Any more powerful than an eye roll? No, not at all. 
Not in my lexicon. Anyway. No. Actually, you know what's more powerful than an eye roll? Tell me. A coin flip. Is it time? <gasps> yes, it is time. Do it. Oh, that was that is honestly one of the best segues we've ever had. Thank you. And I usually do really poorly with the segues, so I felt pretty good about that one. Yeah. Um I love that we have to talk about when we have a positive segue. <laughs> we can't just, like, let it happen. It <laughs> no. Um anyway, I'm flipping the coin now. Heads, of course. Oh my god. It's been heads every time for like a three month. I'm sorry. Like. I'm sorry. And I feel like the only times that it has been tails are the times when you've had we've had the same topic. <laughs> to understand America is to travel its highways. In the first three decades of the 20th century, America cemented its love affair with the automobile. For the first time, most people, no matter their struggle or station in life, could hop in their cars, hit the road, and escape from the places and circumstances that bound them. That is a quote from The Rise and Fall of the Great American Motel by Andrew Wood, originally oh published on The Conversation. I highlighted motel as one of my potential topics, but I didn't do it. <laughs> I had, I think Matt texted you. Did he text you to ask yeah. you what your topic was? Because I was like, God damn, this is just... It's that perfect intersection of our interests, just like the mall was, mm -hmm. where we very well could have had the same topic here. We don't, but just know that we could have. We just like to keep know. our listeners on, our, on their toes. We like to keep ourselves on our toes, apparently. Anyway, so we're talking about motels today. It comes from the Monday, April 4th, New York Times by Derek J. Engel, nine across, lodging near a highway interchange. And the answer is motel. A motel? is also known as a motor hotel, a motor inn, a motor lodge. It is a lodging designed specifically with motorists in mind. The term motel refers to a single building of connected rooms whose doors face a parking lot rather than, say, like a hotel where you mm -hmm. walk in, there's a lobby, and then you have to like walk down a bunch of hallways, get to an, an elevator right up and find your room that way. That's why they're, that's, that's where they're different. Have you ever stayed in a motel before? I have. There's, my grandparents lived in La Crosse, Wisconsin, which actually isn't that small of a town, but if we couldn't stay with them, we would stay at like the motel in La Crosse. Mm. And I always referred to it as the Bates Motel. And then my whole family did too, which is the motel from Psycho for those of you that don't know. But if you don't know, now you know. I love a motel vibe. I often dream of like gone girl style like running off to a motel in the middle of, the, of nowhere and just like hanging out at the pool and just living it up yeah motels are getting coming coming back in style they also gross me out a little bit though i mean i don't know all right well, let's... they don't feel as clean but i don't know why i think that right well we'll talk a little bit about that okay first we're going to talk about where it all began before automobiles, how would travelers find safe and comfortable lodging along their intended route? I'm going to talk about two examples. The first is a caravansary, which is essentially a roadside inn where travelers or caravanners uh, would rest and recover from a day's journey. Uh, and caravansaries were notable along the Silk Road between 200 BCE to the 15th century, or so the 2nd century BCE to the 15th century CE. And essentially, they supported the flow of commerce, information, and people from east to west. Mm -hmm. Okay? Then you have 
the coaching inn or a roadhouse, which was a vital part of European transportation structure uh, until the development of the railroad system. So coaching inns were essentially rest areas for people and their horses. Mm -hmm. Uh, The people would use these inns to sleep, to eat, to drink. And then they also had attached um, stables and that you would like rest your horses there. You could even change your horses out. You know, like if you're riding in a stagecoach and like you're, I don't know, the handler of your horses, whatever, whoever the guy is that drives your stagecoach pulls up and like hands off the forced horses and then the roadhouse or the, you know, this inn would give you four new horses and you would keep going. Mm-hmm. I never truly, I would actually love it if someone wrote to us and told us how this worked. Like, what if they were like your favorite horses? How do you get them back? I don't know. Or is it kind of like everyone just like trades? No, I don't think so. Because, no, they can't be. I know. But like, if we're trade, if like John shows up and passes off his two horses and then takes two other horses and rides away and then mike shows up and he's like i need two horses and the only two horses that are there are john's now what somebody tell me we don't have like you know the apple trackers back then like we do now it's not like you can like search for your horse across europe anyway so those are two examples of how travelers might have like found comfortable lodgings Mm -hmm. before automobiles but then came the automobile the car the vehicle Henry Ford introduced the Model T to the world in October of 1908. It was priced at $360, and for the first time, working-class Americans could afford to purchase a vehicle. The Model T was not the first car, but it was the first, like, affordable vehicle, for mm-hmm. especially for Americans, right? In 1914, 250,000 cars had sold, and by 1918, Ford's Tin Lizzie, or the Model T, made up half of the cars on the road. And production continued of the Model T until the late 19, like, like 1927. Uh, and by then, over 15 million cars had been sold. So cars were exploding in the early mm-hmm. 20th century. And they all had license plates. And they all had license plates, which if you listen to our last episode, you would know. And the first license plate with the number one was in Massachusetts by none other than the Ice King family. Mm-hmm. Just wild to Everything me. comes together. It's like a nicely folded linen. Anyway, more than any country, America embraced the motor car. And why is that? It is because it's key to traversing the almost 3,000 mile wide like country that we have Mm -hmm. here. Okay. Um, I saw it was interesting that like motel culture or like the popularity of the motel is really very like American like their mm-hmm. motels started popping up in other countries, but it never became like this huge phenomenon like it did in America because other countries are so small that they don't need that kind of culture. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They don't need like massive highway uh, programs like we do in the United States because well, there's just so much more space here. This came up a little bit in the hostel episode, like mm. why hostels don't exist in the states because that there's not really a need for that type of lodging but we do have motels because most people are like driving around in their family cars exactly it's very interesting again it all comes together okay so with the rise of the car came the rise of the highway system which began kind of developing in the 1920s with highways long distance road journeys became more common and therefore the increased need for inexpensive overnight accommodations also rose and these Accommodations needed to be close to the main road because you could drive on a highway and then you'd get off the main road, have to drive for another three hours before you found like a town 
potentially. Mm-hmm. So uh, it took a lot, just to say, it took a lot longer to travel by car back in those days. One, even though there were highways, they weren't very reliable. And mm-hmm. sometimes they were like twisty and turny and they just took as long as a country road. And two, the cars weren't as reliable either. For context uh, a trip that might have only take like a couple hours now could take mm-hmm. a couple days back in like the early 1900s it took more than two days of nearly driving all day for 400 miles straight to go from la to san francisco now if you have a car it'll take you six hours to make the trip mm-hmm. so you can only imagine that in the early 1900s how tiring a journey like that could be Driving straight through was impossible. People needed places to rest. Uh, and not all people were made of money. So it's not like they could, like, stop off in, like, really nice big urban centers or cities and spend a ton of money booking a hotel for the night. Mm-hmm. They needed something more affordable. Um, these kind of, like, middle class or working class people that had automobiles that couldn't afford, like, nice fancy hotels are called automobile tourists back then. Um, mm-hmm. And these automobile tourists might have just slept in their cars or pitched a tent on the side of the road. Um, modern campgrounds started popping up in the 20s and 30s. They provided running water, picnic grounds, restrooms. Car travelers might have also adapted their cars to include beds, makeshift kitchens, a deck on the roof of their car. Mm-hmm. anything to make driving and like sleeping in your car more comfortable uh some landowners at the time set up makeshift huts or cabins along the side of the highway uh that they could charge travelers to use and these were called cabin camps and they al- later evolved into what is called tourist courts uh at tourist courts each lodging was a standalone private cottage with a kind of theme like rustic or ranch themed or like english cottage theme Mm-hmm. Um, and most were built around like a big public lawn. There is uh, one such example in New Hampshire called the English Village East, and it advertised, quote, modern and homelike. These bungalows accommodate thousands of tourists to visit the beauty spot in Fransonia Notch. Unlike hotels, tourist courts were designed to be automobile friendly. Uh, let's see. You could park next to your individual room or you would park your car under like a carport and then walk to your cottage. Mm -hmm. This is also around the time, like the early 1900s, when we see tourist houses become common. These are precursors to what is now known as the bed and breakfast. Unlike a boarding house, tourist houses were mostly for people just passing through. Mm -hmm. So a family would open their home to travelers, stopping in town for a night or two. And unlike campgrounds or tourist camps, tourist houses were directly in the center of town as opposed to the outskirts or close to the highway Mm -hmm. so you know you're traveling down the road and your options are pull over sleep in my car pull over pitch tent or pull over and sleep in that hut on the side of the road or pull through to this like tourist court that has like a bunch of like random cottages spend some money and sleep there or we could get off the highway drive into town and stay at one of the houses for a night or two get Mm -hmm. a nice home cooked meal sleep with a roof over our head that brings us all the way to motels the term motel came into the american lexicon in 1925 with the founding of the motel inn of san luis obisco originally called the milestone mo hyphen tell it was constructed in 1925 by arthur heineman the word motel was an abbreviation of motor hotel because heineman could not fit the words milestone motor hotel on his rooftop so he mm-hmm. shortened it to Mo-Tel. Uh, the Milestone Motel is the first motel ever in the world. 
Uh, it opened in 1925, like I said, and it closed in 1991, though the building still exists and it is used by another hotel as like event space. Cute. I wonder yeah. what it looks like. It's it's really cute. So Arthur Heinemann combined the idea of individual cabins from tourist camps and he put them all under a single roof. And this is what kind of differentiates like a motel from a tourist court because the tourist courts, all the cabins were separate. Mm-hmm. A motel is one room you know building and all the rooms are essentially an outward facing corridor mm-hmm. the corridors are not enclosed like you would find at a regular hotel um let's see he specifically chose the location uh, as it was the midpoint between la and san francisco which we knew took two days to travel between back in those days it cost him eighty thousand dollars to build which is over 1.1 million dollars in 2019 mm-hmm. money it originally charged $1.25 per night per room, and that's $18 in 2019. And it was built in an ornate Spanish mission style with a three-tiered bell tower, white pillars, and a tree-lined courtyard. So it has a very much like that, you know, that Spanish yeah. vibe to it. The postcards and the pictures are very pretty. While the first motel might have shown up in the 20s, it was during the 30s and 40s that tourist camps and tourist courts and tourist houses were really, like, the dominated roadside lodging, like, go-to. You would usually mm-hmm. stay at those places. After World War II, President D- Dwight D. Eisenhower established the federal interstate highway system. He wanted to mimic the German Autobahn with four-lane highways in America. But until these highways were built, which was in the 60s, like mid-60s, Motorists continued using whatever roads and highways were available, which led them to motor courts. So after the first motel popped up, a lot of people were like, holy crap, that's a really good idea. And they started building their own motels along highways as well. And so because of that, it was in the 40s and 50s and early 60s that we enter the golden age of the motel in America before all of these new highways are built under Eisenhower's command. Mm -hmm. Um, The rich people were flying in airplanes and still staying, you know, in hotels. Working class, middle class people were in their cars, driving on the highways, and they still needed affordable lodging. Um, and so these motels, became, they were like located in more far-flung areas, the in-between mm-hmm. areas. Uh, and they did everything that they could to attract motorists to stay there. That's why we have the big neon signs. That's why we have all these insane themed motels mm-hmm. um matchbooks with the you know their marketing soaps marketed specifically for the hotel um all all types of things it's really cute you can actually look up some of like the memorabilia from motels back in the 60s 50s and 60s they're really cute mm-hmm. uh the most important thing i think however is how the motels styled themselves they kind of styled themselves as roadside resorts they offered luxuries previously only available at expensive hotels for instance swimming pools that was a huge like Mm -hmm. this is one of those things that made it different than like a tourist court because a tourist court was just these cabins and you pull up you sleep and you leave but Mm -hmm. now at these motels you have a buffet you have a pool there might be some sort of entertainment like a singer or like a flamenco dancer Mm -hmm. um a lot of motels were actually influenced by the tiki craze because, you know, you got a ton of soldiers coming back from the Pacific Theater on World War II, and everybody wants to stay at a tiki-themed motel now. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of these motels had huge depictions of Polynesian gods near the pools and near the buffets. No bueno, but this is how they were attracting people into 
stay there. There were also many indigenous-themed motels, hmm. cowboy-themed, you know, ranch-themed, English cottage-themed, all, all the themes you can think of, you could probably find it in the 60s at a motel. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, many motels popped up along the famous Route 66, uh, and they actually would sometimes cause whole towns to like pop up around them. So you would build a motel in like a seemingly, a, you know, rural, like nobody around area. And then because so many tourists were stopping there, other people were like, well, I'm just going to build a the gas station or I'm just going to build a diner. Oh, I'm just going to build my house here now and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. And so towns just kind of like popped up around motels. Because of a they, motel. Exactly. An example of this is Tucumcari in New Mexico, which was a Route 66 way station, and it's still preserved today uh, in its all of its 50s glory, apparently, which is kind of cool. Unfortunately, the lifespan of this style of motel was relatively short. As the interstate highway system enacted by Eisenhower began to take shape, hotel chains like Holiday Inns and Best Westerns swept in to dominate the competition, pushing out small motels that were run by individuals and families. Hmm. The chain economy hotel companies built up several stories, allowing them to house more guests. They um, they bought up prime real estate in big cities uh, where most highways would passing through. And then in 1963, here's an interesting quote from a Holiday Inn executive. He says, quote, what we're trying to do here is finish the job that Henry Ford began. Ford put up a set of assembly line wheels under the average American. It's up to us to apply the, sem- the assembly line lodging. Their whole like shtick was to essentially be as affordable as a motel and as accessible as a motel, but to be completely, to like brand themselves as an upscale motel Mm -hmm. so that you could feel richer than you were, essentially. An example of this, motels are known for their vacancy or no vacancy signs, right? Mm -hmm. During the golden age of the motel, it was like a sign like of, it was like a symbol of pride or like, something to be really proud of when you had the no vacancy sign up. That meant people mm-hmm. wanted to be there. Every single room was filled. It was like free marketing. Like, oh, that's a good place. We should have stayed there. Holiday Inns, Best Westerns got rid of the sign because they mm-hmm. didn't want to seem like for poor people. They didn't want to seem seedy. Mm-hmm. All of these things. They wanted to kind of elevate themselves above a motel. And like, it's an interesting tactic to put something below you to make you seem better. We yeah. see it all the time in various ways. Um, and uh, another thing that they wanted to do was get people off the road and into the hotel. So, like, if you're driving down a hotel and all the motels say no vacancy, no vacancy, no vacancy, you won't even stop in. Mm-hmm. The Best Western doesn't have a no vacancy sign because they want you to pull off the, ho- the highway. They want you to park. They yeah. want you to walk in. They want you to have that face-to-face interaction with their receptionist or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that way, like, even if there aren't any vacancies, you've just had a really positive experience with the person at the front desk, the person helping you. So that when you leave the Best Western, the Holiday Inn, you feel nice and fuzzy. And you're like, oh, wow, that's actually a really great place. And maybe next time I'll call ahead and book instead of hoping to just show up. Sneaky. Sneaky. And because of this, like, essentially, tons of motels went out of business and motels became kind of run down and known in the american um mind's eye as a seedy location not safe dirty Mm -hmm. for like quote low class people Mm -hmm. 
1964, there were upwards of 61,000 independent motels across the United States, but by 2012, the number had dwindled to just 16,000. Wow. Very much wow. Um, let's see, let's see. This idea of like a seedy motel is held up in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Psycho, Memento, No Country for Old Men, the TV show The Goldbergs, um, even uh, Schitt's Creek. Yeah. You know, like when you think of a motel, you think of like cheap lodgings that nobody actually takes care of. The sheets haven't been changed in 25 years. There's cockroaches. Nobody actually cleans the toilets, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. When in reality, they're just mom and pop owned fronts. And like you just have not to say that some motels aren't shady. And well, because there's some motels you can like rent by the hour. Exactly. Well, because they weren't doing so well, they had to transition to other modes to like yeah. make money. And so, some hotel motels that might have been big and beautiful, like cultural epicenters during like the 50s and 60s, would slowly start transitioning into like sex motels, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. What is interesting, though, is that motels are on the rise again. Um, I think mainly probably because of the millennial obsession with mid-century. Yeah. Millennials are like buying up or older millennials, not our age group because Mm -hmm. we're poor, but older millennials and like, you know, Gen Xers are buying up old rundown motels and flipping them and making them into quote boutique hotels. There's a really great article on the New York times about the like Renaissance, the resurgence of the motel culture. Um, Mm -hmm. It's connected a lot to COVID as well. Like a lot of people who are traveling during COVID didn't feel safe or comfortable being in like an interior hotel situation where you have to walk in lobbies, go in elevators with people, lots of crowds, restaurants were like, you know, indoor seating. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of people looked for exterior corridor um, lodgings, which is a motel. Yeah. But you'll these hoteliers or the people that are like running these like flipped motels are like, oh, we don't call it a motel because that name motel is synonymous with like CD, right? Yeah. Um, they're like, oh, we're a boutique hotel now. We're not a motel. It's like we're a boutique exterior corridor hotel, right? One exactly, story. exactly. With a well, pool. there's that Ohio Street motel in the middle of River North, mm. like next to the Rock Row McDonald's. Mm-hmm. I'm always like, I mean, there's cars there. I'm like, I wonder what the inside looks like. Because I feel like they could really lean into, like, motel. We should look it up and see how much it costs to stay there. Yeah. There's the heart of Chicago up on the north side, which is, like... Has the cutest sign. It has the cutest sign. Um, I stayed at a flipped motel at the end of last year. Mm -hmm. Um, El Rey Court in Santa Fe was built in, like, the late 20s, early 30s. And it was built along the original Route 66 route before they bypassed. They In like the mid to late 30s, they changed Route 66 and they totally bypassed Santa Fe. But it was originally built on, you know, Route 66. And it started out as 12 rooms. Now, it, like over the years, it kept growing and growing. And now there's 81 rooms. The current owners bought it in like the 2010s, flipped it. It is like hopping now it's like very hipster Mm -hmm. you know like their marketing is amazing they've got you know navajo art and rugs and everyone feels very southwestern and like 
they have like a queer night and like DJ night and their bar is like one of the top t- like uh, mezcal bars in Santa Fe, you know, that's like a what hostel, a flipped motel of. is now. Yeah, exactly. And they have like every Thursday night, they have that brick fired pizza mm-hmm. and the people making your brick fired pizza have like tiny mustaches and they wear their hats, but not over their ears. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, that is, but it was amazing and it was really affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, but I think it's interesting that even though it technically is still a motel, you drive up. You park your car right in front of your door. You get into your room. It's still affordable. has all the amenities of, like, what a motel would have had. They refuse to call themselves motels because of that, like... Stigma. Stigma, the connection with the seedy, the darkness. Mm -hmm. I kind of like that it's a motel, though. I know. Motels are... The one thing I don't like about motels is, like, anyone can walk up to your window. Yes. Like, safety-wise. True. You know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's just me and my paranoia, so... Well, yeah. Yeah, I, I hear you. And I feel like if you're, like, out in the middle of nowhere, that's even scarier. If you're, like, in a bigger yeah. city, not to say it's not possible for someone to do that in a bigger city, but I don't know. There's, like, more people around, I think. I know. I Yes, I feel much safer in a, like, city with a bunch of people who could hurt me versus out in the middle of nowhere where it's, like, I'm probably the only one there. But for some reason, for me, that's scarier. I Yeah, I totally agree. Anyway, that's all I have on motels. Hope you learned a lot. I did. I feel like I used to... Like, I have a lot of memories of staying at motels growing up. Mm. I feel like they're really popular in Florida because of the, like, there's always good weather, you know? Oh, yeah. When, like, growing up in New Jersey, we have the shore. You go to mm-hmm. Wildwood. In Wildwood, like, every every inch of every block is a motel. And they all have their own different themes. It's amazing. I actually would love to go there with you because we could do really cool photo shoots in Wildwood with, at, like, the mid-century motels there. I'm in. Let's all right, meet you there. And then we, we could go to Myrtle Beach and go to the mini golf courses because that's all there is in Myrtle Beach. Love that. Love that for us. My topic comes from the Friday, April 1st New Yorker by Sarah Kay and Ross Trudeau. 35 down for award achievement for Mel Brooks. EGOT. Yes. Are you talking about EGOTs today? I'm talking about EGOTs. Wow. It was bound to happen one of these days. One of these days. So if you didn't know, EGOT is the highest honor in entertainment, and it includes winning an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Hence, Damn. EGOT. It was first coined by Miami Vice star Philip Michael Thomas and made popular by an episode of 30 Rock. <laughs> I thought it was like way older than Me that. Me too. But no. I remember watching that episode of 30 Rock. That's why I know what it is. Right, right, right. Um, but first, I'm going to do like a very brief history of each award. I'm not going into super detail because I don't have the time. But right. let's start with the E, which stands for Emmy. So the Emmys are awards for artistic and technical merit in television. It was created in 1949 by the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences as a way to build their image because the Oscars already existed, but that was just for film. So they want to be like, hey, TV is a big deal, too. Mm-hmm. The Emmy statuette is a winged woman holding an atom, which is like very science-y. Okay. <laughs> Random. Um, and speaking of uh, Dwight Eisenhower, it was originally going to be called Ike, the Ikes, after the iconoscope tube, which is like a television thing, like technical Okay. Thing. But since like at that time, Dwight D. Eisenhower was already known. He was the president-to-be. So they were like, no, we can't name it the Ikes because it'll be too confusing. <laughs> okay. So instead, they named it after Emmy, which was an informal term for the image orthicon tube, which was another like television oh. tool or whatever that was had just like come out mm. recently. 
Um, the image orthicon tube was originally built to guide flying torpedoes in World War II, but it ended up being used in television instead. Why it has the nickname the atomic bomb of television. Okay. Um, but it was Emmy, and then since the statue was a girl, they changed it to Emmy because that's like a, a woman's name. Okay. If you the say so. The artist who designed... So Emmy could be a woman's name too. Yes. So, oh, whatever. Whatever that means. The artist <laughs> who designed the statue is TV engineer Louis McManus. The original design had Emmy looking like a very Valkyrie kind of character, but the final product ended up being a much more clean Art Nouveau style. She is modeled after Louis' wife, Dorothy McManus. So some people could call it the Dorothys. Okay. At least Louis should. <laughs> um, originally, there was one Emmy every year, but in, the, in 1974, they had like the daytime Emmys and the primetime emmys and we talk a little bit about daytime emmys in our soap opera episode 88 good clean soapy fun Mm -hmm. in 2011 two big soaps all my children and one life to live were canceled by abc and they were picked up by online streaming channels and so then the daytime emmys added a category for online for web series in 2013 and as things continue to change with streaming services and the idea of like primetime versus daytime lines being blurred because who's actually like watching tv as it's airing mm-hmm. um and 20 the emmys have changed to like reflect that so in 2021 recently they announced that the ceremony scopes would now revolve around themes and frequency instead of what time of day they air makes sense so daytime dramas will remain daytime emmys but most other scripted dramas and comedies would move to primetime emmys all children's programming would move to the newly created children and family em- mm. emmys Morning shows would move from daytime Emmys to the news and documentary Emmys. Mm, mm-hmm. And talk shows are now divided between daytime and primetime, depending on, you know, their format and style got and it. whichever one it fits better in. So they got to change with the times. The Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Next, we have the Grammys, the G of EGOT. Okay. The Grammy started in 1958. That's like the most recent one out of all of these. Um, it was originally known as the Gramophone Awards. Ooh, the award itself is a gramophone. So that makes sense. Then it became the Grammys. Which I feel dumb for, like, never... I am an idiot, but what can I do? Um, So the Hollywood Walk of Fame project started in the 50s, and that kind of created a renewed interest in honoring people in the music industry. So at that time, there was already the Emmys, the Tonys, and the Oscars, but nothing that honored musical talent. The Tonys is, like, you know, theatrical music. Mm -hmm. But there was something else at play. So record execs were alarmed at the explosive success of rock and roll. (gasps) They felt it threatened, quote, good quality music. So they decided to create these awards to, quote, cultivate a higher standard of popular taste. Oh, my God. This is why there's like a polka category. No offense to polka artists, but (laughs) just to say. The first Grammy Award was held on May 4th, 1959, in the Grand Ballroom of the Beverly Hills Hotel. There were 28 award categories, but there were only two rock and roll nominees. And rock and roll was like huge at this time. Mm -hmm. The best vocal performance nominees included names like Frank Sinatra, Andy Williams, Perry Como, Doris Day, Edie Gorm, and Keely Smith. So, yes, good singers, but like the classic. That's what they were like. This is what real music right, right, is. Right, 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 of course. The first award for rock music wasn't given until 1961. Chubby Checker won the best rock and roll recording. Mm. And even as late as 1967, only one nominee for album of the year could be considered a rock album. And it was the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. <sighs> Interesting. Um, Jimi Hendrix never won a Grammy. Neither did Creedence Clearwater, Revi- or Clearance- Creedence Clearwater Revival, Flats Domino, The Four Tops, or Sam Cooke. Wow. 
these days, we see a similar disparity in the Grammys when it comes to recognizing rap and hip-hop artists. That is a much broader topic with yes. a lot more history. Other people have gone into it. It deserves like more time and attention. So I'm not going to go too into that. But just to say the Grammys kind of started as a way like for some white men to be like, no, this is what real music is. Mm-hmm. And they still haven't completely... I mean, that's the same with anything, though. Well, exactly you say the same about Oscars, Emmys, and for Tony's, sure. And like things I are changing. Like we're not s- as much, but we're yeah. seeing like you know changes, but nothing ever moves fast enough for like the mm-hmm. reality of what the world actually is, or like to to reflect like the true diversity of the world. Anyway, yes. random Grammy trivia. So there are four categories that include all the genres because mostly you're like competing with people in your genre. But the four categories that just include everyone are best new artist, song of the year, album of the year and record of the year. Mm. And only two people have won all four of these. Christopher Cross and Adele. Of course. Yes. I have no idea who the hell Christopher Cross is. I'm sorry. I don't know either. Good, good, good for Christopher. I do not know this man. Sorry to this man. I do not know this man. Okay. The Oscars. <laughs> Talk about the it. The O and EGOT. Yes. Shortly after the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences was incorporated in 1927, a dinner was held in the Crystal Ballroom of the Biltmore Hotel in downtown Los Angeles to discuss the goals of the new organization. I just, like, love all these, like, famous hotels that are still around today. Like, that's where so many of these, these things started. I know. Um, one of those goals was devising a method to honor outstanding achievements in film, hence the Academy Awards. MGM art director Cedric Gibbons sketched a figure of a knight holding a sword standing in front of a reel of film. The five spokes of the reel represented the five branches of the Academy. Actors, directors, producers, technicians, and writers. Did you know that since you went to film school? No. I mean, maybe at some point, but... I didn't know that. The sword represented the protection and advancement of the industry. In 1928, LA sculptor George Stanley designed the statue we know today. Um, it wasn't based off of, like, any real people, like the Emmys. Mm. Um, You're telling me Oscar's was... not real? Well, we'll get into Oscar. Oh. So, Oscar is real, but the knight was placed on top of the film reel, so that's how it is today. Ah. Which, I don't even think I knew that, that the I didn't realize base the base was the film reel. Film reel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The statuette stands 13.5 inches tall and weighs 8.5 pounds. <laughs> The design of the statuette has never changed from its original conception, but the size of the base varied until 1945. They were like, no, this is what it's going to be from now on, and it has been the same ever since. Wait, how long did you say it was? 13.5. It's pretty small. Inches tall. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Seems small to me. Um, The statue was originally named the Academy Award of Merit, but we all know it as the Oscar. Mm. So the origins of why it's called Oscar are unclear. But according to Oscars.org on their website, they say like the most widely believed story is that Academy librarian and eventual executive director Margaret Herrick said the statue resembled her uncle Oscar. So pretty soon the Academy staff began referring to it as Oscar. And then in 1939, the Academy officially started using the Oscar nickname. That's cute. I hope that's true. (laughs) I know. Shout out to Uncle Oscar. Yeah. Um, like license plates because of metal shortages during World War II, Oscars were made out of plaster for three years. Ooh. So, sorry if you want an Oscar during World War II. Sorry about that. Today, they are gold-plated medals. Okay. That brings me to the Tonys. Bring the it tea on. and EGOT. The Tonys came into existence around the same time as the Emmys in 1947. It was established by the American Theater Wing to celebrate excellence in theater. 
It was named after actress-director and producer Antoinette Perry, who was the much-loved leader of the American theater ring wing during World War II. Um, the first Tonys what took place in the Grand Ballroom of the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York mm. on Easter Sunday, April 6, 1947. Mm. Eleven Tonys were presented in seven categories, and there were eight special awards, including one for Vincent Sardi, owner of the famous Sardi's Restaurant on West 44th Street. So Cute. that, like, yeah, famous restaurant on Broadway has won a Tony. I the, love it. What the first round of Tony? Right. Hello. Um, during the first two years of the Tonys, there was no official award statue or anything like that. The winners were presented with a scroll and things like a gold money clip for the men and a compact for the women. Which, give me one. I would be pissed after the first two years. True. And they created the statue. I'd be like, you need to give me one of those. You're done. Give me one of those. In 1949, United Scenic Artists, the Designers Union, held a contest for the award. The winner was a disc-shaped medallion designed by Herman Ross. Since 1968, the disc has been mounted on a black pedestal with a curved armature. Each award is numbered for tracking purposes. The front depicts the masks of comedy and tragedy. The back has the winner's names, the award category, production, and the year. Cute. The first couple of years were at a hotel, but then they moved to Broadway theaters. In 1997, they moved away from Broadway for the first time in 30 years. Wow. Between 1997 and 2010, all but three ceremonies were held at Radio City Mu Music Hall. Mm. And since 2011, it has been held at either Radio City Music Hall or the Beacon Theater on the Upper West Side. Okay. So it's not on Broadway anymore. Okay. But let's talk about EGOTs. Let's talk about how it. How it all came about. This is all from the Atlantic article called The Strange, True, and tragicomic story of egot by sophie gilbert love the atlantic shout out to the atlantic you save our podcast you do um okay <clears throat> it all started in 1984 when 35 year old philip michael thomas got his big break as detective ricardo tubbs in nbc's new drama miami vice mm. in an interview with the associated press about miami vice thomas talked about his plan for an egot quote that stands for emmy grammy oscar and tony hopefully in the next five years i will win all of those awards he believed so deeply that he he believed in this so deeply that he had EGOT engraved on a gold pendant, which he wore around his neck. Good for him. At first, he would talk about it all the time, like in interviews. In a 1985 Playboy interview with his co-star, Don Johnson, he said, We trained with each other. I told, John about, I told Don about my goal, EGOT, which stands for Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. I want a winner be nominated for each award in the next five years. And he told me about dreams he wanted to develop. So it's on record that he said this many times. Right. It was for EGOT. Right. But as time went on and didn't look like he was going to be getting an EGOT, right. he started to backtrack. And I feel kind of bad for him. Oh. So this is a quote from an article in the Miami Herald about him. Quote, a gold medallion with the letters EGOT is around his neck. He claims it doesn't stand for the Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony Awards he constantly thinks of winning, as reported by the media. It means energy, growth, opportunity, and talent. Oh. It's also a character I've created. A mythical space character that I'm going to put in one of my videos. He's an angel of light that comes from outer space. On the way, he passes E.T. going home. The angel of light eventually descends on the planet, he says, his own cherubic, uh, cherubic face boyish open. At one point, he says, quote, I believe in miracles. He has never won the EGOT, and uh, Miami Vice was canceled. Oh, so. Someone should just give, give him an honorary one, for Christ's sake. My God. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't really count we'll talk about honorary oh awards. 
So the idea of EGOT kind of got lost until a 2009 30 Rock episode where Tracy Jordan, played by Tracy Morgan, goes to a jewelry store to look for a gift for his wife. He spots the EGOT medallion on the wall and the salesperson says that it belonged to Philip Michael Thomas from Miami Vice and stood for Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Tracy says, that's a good goal for a talented, crazy person. He immediately adopts it as his own, assembles an orchestra in a bid to compose a hit album or musical, and even visits the EGOTer Whoopi Goldberg to ask for her advice. Yes, she was in the episode and she is an EGOTer. Oh. Overnight, it became a popular term again. So like, after the month that that episode aired, wow! Within the month, you can see EGOT coming up in like different publications. So, like the Pittsburgh Gazette published a listing noting that Marvin Hamlish has an EGOT, and then the Palm Spring Desert Sun did an interview with Lily Tomlin saying she was one Oscar short of winning the Showbiz Grand Slam known as the EGOT. Ooh. So that Thirty Rock episode really did put it. That's so random. Back on the map, right? And that's random. Well, yeah, and and like the writer, the article is like. The writer of the episode has never said, like, why they decided to put that in. Obviously, it was based on the real, like, Miami Vice guy yeah. talking about EGOTs. So maybe they were just researching, like, crazy actors since Tracy Jordan in the show is supposed to be like this, you know. Right, right, right. Crazy actor. But <clears throat> all right, let's get down to talking about actual EGOT winners. Okay. So there are only 16 EGOT winners to date. Wow. That's a lot less than I Some thought. Some names... Yeah, there's not that many. Some names you re may recognize more than others, unless you know a lot about composers. That seems to be, like, the best way to get it. Right. Um, and then some of these people, you're like, wait, they won an EGOT? How did they win an Emmy? So if it's, like, someone famous, I'll talk about what okay. the how they got okay. it. So first, there's uh, Richard Rogers from Rogers and Hammerstein. Although Hammerstein never won an EGOT. He was, like, one short. Mm. Um, Helen Hayes. Rita Moreno. Okay. From I knew West that story. She, I was like, how'd she win an Emmy? So she won an Emmy um, for her appearance on The Muppet Show ah. and The Rockford Files. John Gilgood, Audrey Hepburn is an EGOTer. Okay. She won a Grammy for Best Spoken Word Album for the children's album Audrey Hepburn's Enchanted Tales. <laughs> okay. Marvin Hamlish, Jonathan Tunick, Mel Brooks in The Clue. Mike Nichols, Whoopi Goldberg. She won a Grammy for Best Comedy Recording. And then she won a Tony because she produced Thoroughly Modern Millie. Oh, okay. Scott Rudin was the first person to achieve EGOT after the coin was termed in 2009. Okay. Robert Lopez won it, like, in 2010, and he won the Oscar for composing Let It Go from Frozen. And, you know, like, when you win an Oscar and you go up on stage, they're like, this is so-and-so's first Oscar mm -hmm. or, yeah. you know, second nomination. They The announcer actually mentioned, like, this makes him an EGOT. Like, he has now went, won an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony, which wow. makes him an EGOT winner. Wow. Um, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Okay. If you're wondering how he won an Emmy... He won it for the outstanding live variety special, Jesus Christ Superstar, live in concert. <laughs> um, Tim Rice, John Legend, is an EGOTer. He also won the Emmy for the Jesus Christ Superstar, <laughs> live in concert, because okay. he played Jesus. And he won a Tony as the producer for Best Play Revival, August Wilson's Jitney. Okay. The newest person to join the list is none other than Alan Menken of 
Disney fame. He like wrote all of Little Mermaid. Okay. He finally, he obviously has won a lot of Grammys and Tonys. He won an Emmy for original song in children's young adult or animated program Rapunzel's Tangled Adventures in 2020. Cute. Sometimes you got to do something like, I, sometimes I like, did he do that? Because he thought I he an Emmy for it. I literally thought that. I was like, okay. He was like, to his manager, he's like, I need to be an EGOT winner before I die. And mm-hmm. get me on a freaking Disney show. Do anything you got to do. Pull the strings. And then we'll throw a ton of money behind the campaign. And we'll get me, what was it, an Oscar or an Emmy? An Emmy. An Emmy. There you go. I don't think there's been... Man, I should have looked this up first. Rita Moreno, maybe. I don't know if there's anyone who has won, like, the highest award. I don't think there has been. The highest award in each. That would be interesting. Category. You know, like, best actress or, like, actress or supporting right, actress right, right. for Emmy and, like, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, okay. The youngest person to achieve EGOT status was John Legend at 39 years old, followed by Rita Moreno at 45 and Whoopi Goldberg at 46. Mm. Robert Lopez had the shortest span between receiving all awards. It took him 10 years to get all of them. The longest span was Helen Hayes, who took 45 years Damn. to get all of them. And then there are also EGOT winners um, that, but some people don't consider them real EGOT winners because they receive like a non-competitive or an honorary award. Mm. So it's like, you know. Okay. And you're- Does that count? Right, and I'm not trying to shit on Whoopi Goldberg's, like, live comedy performance, whatever it was, but, like, it's not like people are winning, like you said, it's not like people are winning the top honor in each of these shows to become an EGOT winner. Sometimes it's, like, spoken word, children's book, Aubrey Hepburn, like, which she deserved it, of course, but, like, (laughs) come on. (laughs) Well, the people who won these non-competitive EGOTs, um, you'll recognize all of these people barbara streisand liza minnelli james earl jones harry belafonte and quincy jones ah so heavy hitters yeah but there's more okay so there's pgot winners that's an egot winner who also won a peabody rita moreno and mike nichols rita moreno stops at nothing rita moreno is yeah um it also stands for egots who have won a pulitzer so that's Richard Rogers and Marvin Hamlish. They're PGOTs. Damn. And our friend, Lin-Manuel Miranda, is so close to being a PGOT. He has the Pulitzer. He has everything else. All he needs is an Oscar. He has been nominated for an Oscar twice, but has never won. He's close. He'll, he'll get it, I he, think. He wants it. He's like, there's been quotes about him saying, like, I'm coming after that Oscar. Yeah. He, he, I think, like, his career is on track for him to one day win the Oscar. So. Yeah. And he deserves it. Yeah. So. That's my um, guess for next. And if you go on, like, the Wikipedia page for EGOTs, they have, like, a list of, like, just need a Tony to be an EGOT, just need an Oscar to be an EGOT, just so you can, like, go see who's on there. There's quite a lot of people, actually. Yeah, yeah. But, obviously, it's not that easy to win an award. Sure. So, I'm going to end with a quote from that Atlantic article about Thomas from Miami Vice. Okay. Quote, Thomas may not have achieved his dream of winning four major entertainment awards, but in coining a term that became the hallmark of both artistic achievement, he secured his enduring place in Hollywood history nevertheless. Through his audacity, his vision, and his implacable faith in his future success, Philip Michael Thomas can say that he gave the most accomplished artists in history something to strive for. So he did something. He did something. He coined a term. Yeah. Oh. 
feel like that's a big deal. Yeah, he did. He It is a big deal. I feel bad for him, but he had ambitions and he really fought for it. He tried manifesting. It just didn't end up being the case. Yeah. Well, we can't all be Rita Moreno. So. No, we can't. And I've tried. But, like, she didn't even know. I mean, EGOTs weren't even in a thing when she right. won all of hers. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. That's that. That's that. What a good episode, I think. I think, too. <laughs> good job, Grace. You did a great job. <laughs> Thanks, Chelsea. You as well. I guess I'll see you next week. Not if I see you first. <laughs> all right. Well. All of our listeners out there, remember to keep curious. Do you have an EGOT? Let us know. <gasps> Are you one of 16? Wouldn't it be amazing if, like, you know, Rita Moreno was like, hey. <laughs> I would actually die. Yeah, we, we too. I'd be like, Rita Moreno is too good to know who I am. Yeah, same. I'd be like, sorry, let's just delete that and, like, start over. Well, I feel like I've mentioned this before because I have very few cool things to mention mm. my mom has met rita moreno you have mentioned that and it is very and cool. let her borrow a necklace thank you very much amazing for a photo shoot amazing i love that for your mom i'll see if i can find the picture please we'll post it on oh, instagram oh nice <laughs> with, no, no, no she does have a picture with my mom i'll ask my mom okay. to see if she can find yes it. amazing uh, perfect all right well until next right. time um keep curious you can follow us on twitter at the good eve girls or Instagram at the Good Evening Girls. Or TikTok at the Good Eve Girls. Come on down, say hello, and uh, let's keep on keeping on out there. All righty. All right. We will see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.